Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 411. And this week's conversation is one of my favourite of recent times. Um, It's fantastic. I'll be honest with you. It's with Jack Thorne. And I've wanted to have Jack on for a while, but it's one of those weird things where Jack's one of the people I'm a I'm a huge fan of, yet outs- it's similar to me, really, in that people who know of me or people who are fans of me and my music really know about it and are really into it, but people who aren't have never heard of it. It's not one of them where you're just aware. And Jack's in that world. Um, I'll list a few of the things he's written <laughs> or written on. Let's start with Help, the recent amazing piece with Stephen Graham and, and, and Jodie Comer. We, we had to start a conversation with that, in fact, as it felt so top, topical. But then you can go for Skins, or you can go for the This Is England's series, or you can go for Virtues, His Dark Materials, and so many amazing things. Yeah, I was already a fan of him, from the virtues so if if, if this is england and the virtues but weirdly although it's not my favorite of his pieces his dark materials was the one that really made me go oh man this guy has something special because it's so different from that the bits i had been exposed to had been your skins your this is england your gritty realism and then his dark materials was just amazing so yeah as you can tell i was really excited to talk to him and we proper got into it this came about because i hit him up just bundling praise on him for help because it blew me away i thought it was absolutely astounding and a few of the choices the choice to make them brief spoiler or the choice at the end the change in where it's all going towards the the end blew me away i wasn't expecting it at all and i thought it was a beautiful arc so yeah, I was obviously excited to talk to Jack, and honestly, you'll hear from my excitement and joy that it's it's so so exciting for me to hear from people like this and hear a bit of their process and their outlook and their approach. And there was so much that f- fascinated me because again, the the shows I've listed are shows I'm a huge fan of. Most of them are things I've watched more than once. So to get to find some of the process and behind the scenes and all that kind of thing is awesome. But anyway, I'll get on with the podcast. I do want to tell you before anything, we mentioned at the end, Venom. I mentioned it on last week's episode as coming out this Friday. It it came out in America on Friday. It comes out in the UK on the 15th. So apologies if I've got anyone's hopes up there. But yeah, I've got a little scene in there. I did an Instagram video about it. So go and watch that. I explain it all. But that's coming out soon. And I also wanted to tell you that I've got two episodes this week. I've got an amazing episode with Andy Chambers, who is an old friend of mine. It's a really personal and intimate episode, but he's doing some absolutely amazing things recently. So I wanted to have him on to talk about them all. So that'll be out on Friday. Uh, what else do I need to tell you? Obviously, speechdevelopmentrecords.com is where you can get all sorts of merch. The weather has obviously turned, so you can get umbrellas there, hoodies, scarves, the best beanies in the world. They're the, or we may not be for you, and that and that's fine, beanies. Yeah, just all the good shit. So head over there for that. As I record this intro in 20 minutes, so it's too late for you now, I'm about to do a Patreon Zoom where... Everyone who's on my Patreon, which is like a dollar a month for, yeah, a quid or a quid 50 a month or something, they can come and hang out on Zoom and we spend an hour or so just having a chat and they ask questions and I answer them and we generally interact and engage. So yeah, patreon.com forward slash Scroobius Pip. But that's all I'm going to ramble on about. This is episode 411 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with the amazing Jack Thorne. Right, I'm here today with Jack Thorne. How are you, sir? I'm all right. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You, you were just saying you've had the stress of of unwell children and and whatnot yes. this past week. How how how's everything coming along? 
it's fine. He's fine. He's got his energy back today, so it's all all right. We we just had yesterday. We had the horror of him not being very well, and then also wanting to do a COVID test. Yeah. So that he could go back to school, and you know, right. and you go into those places, and actually, it's much better. I, I think we've done four with him through the last uh, through the pandemic. I think yeah. we've had to do four, and they've got a lot better, and um, and they're a lot quicker too. We heard this morning at seven a.m. that we only went in yesterday afternoon, so that was pretty good. Yeah, that's sw- swift, isn't it? Everything's yeah. coming to, together. I guess how's how's the pandemic been as a writer? Because and and as a, a writer who's a parent. Because again, you're obviously all anyone has to do is look on your IMDb and see how busy a writer you, <laughs> you are. But I'd imagine school, schools being closed, um, yeah. potential uh, writing r- r- retreats or, or wherever your space may be being closed or restricted. How's it all affected it? I don't. I don't have a writing retreat. I have a. Yeah. a I do have an office in my house, and I'm very yeah. lucky to have one. Yeah. I. I honestly, I the pandemic. F- for me and writing has been amazing because I found the swing chair in my garden as my writing retreat <laughs> and it was amazing. My productivity went through the roof as soon as I was like, oh, here's my spot. Here's, here's where I like to write. Yeah, I mean, um, the the homeschooling thing was hard yeah. and but we worked out a balance, me and Rach, my wife, and we're lucky in that Elliot's five mm-hmm. and so last year he wasn't really aware of anything being that diff- different. Yeah. He just, it was just... I'm not at school. That's fine. I don't really like school. Yeah, I've I've not, I've not got used to school yet. Anyway, Exa- so. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I think if it was now, he'd have a real problem with it because yeah. he's now got he's got a best friend. Right. Do you know yeah. what I mean? You know, he feels like he's part of a world, and I think that that thing of being cut off from all that would be a lot harder for him. So I think for us, it came at the right time for that. Yeah, that sounds perfect because too early to have got used to it, but but also. Again, as you were saying now, if it was when it's, say, seven or eight or eight or nine, they're starting to have more of the online interaction. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, like My goddaughter was on, on Minecraft constantly because all her mates were on there. <laughs> so it was this amazing, oh. weird thing of interaction yeah. that her and her mates could meet up in a digital world yeah. and still have this, this interaction and thing, but a little bit younger than that, and you've not got that either. So, yeah, no. you, it, it sounds like... You, you got it in just the right place. <laughs> we drew. I learned about phonics. I understand yeah, everything there is to know about phonics. And yeah, and we've got a garden, which is very lucky. Yeah. And so, yeah, no, we were very, very lucky. But yeah, it did. I mean, it changed everything about my writing routine and everything about my life in that respect. Yeah. And also, I had gone through a long period of having quite a lot of stuff in production and not having something in production changed things too. Yeah. Um, but I was, yes, I also spent it working on a thing with Grey Eye called Crips Without Constraints that was working with disabled writers to write pieces, a lot of whom were shielding. Yeah. And and shielding just w- was incredibly tough. And also uh, researching this drama Help, which showed quite how hard, you know, and that was pretty early on we started researching that, where you suddenly realised quite how hard it was in certain sectors and so yeah. yes no I, I i i just felt blessed the entire time really and yeah. um yeah i mean normally i go all the way back to the beginning and jump around but you've touched upon help and i had that noted as we need to start with that because it's been <laughs> it's so it's so recent and relevant and number one it blew me away obviously stevie's a mate and he told me about work he'd been sending me pictures and clips as he was working yeah. on it and I was excited anyway, but I'm also a huge fan of of, of Jody. And again, he, she's someone I've spoken to Stevie about for a long while. Just this girl's yeah. just amazing, amazing yeah. talent. But her performance like s- surprised me. Even though I had Absolutely. these incredibly high expectations, her yeah. performance surprised me. And Stevie as well, everyone. But it's a really interesting story behind it as such, because I know... St- Stevie had approached you in the past and asked you to write something for him and Jodie. Now, as an actor, um, it's pretty much every actor's dream, including myself, to have a character written for them by a a Jack Thorne. uh, uh, I'm a big fan of Joe Barton at the moment. I think what he's doing is great. All these amazing writers. But I'd imagine as a writer, it's equally as much of a dream to be told, can you write something for Jodie Comer and Stephen Graham? Like to have them in mind as you're creating, it must be, it must cut so much out, so much of the journey of finding the character in your mind. 
you know what you know what they're capable of you know mm. what they look like as such and 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 what you can do with them yeah i mean as a, a tv writer the best bit is always series 2 yeah. because you're writing four actors do yeah. you know what i mean like, yeah. you know rather than rather than for like stick figures in your brain yeah and this was like having a series two, you know, but with the best actors. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, just the best actors. Yeah. And yeah, Stephen is, uh, you know, he's a force of nature. So writing for him, I knew how to do that a bit because uh, A, it was the, I think it's the fifth thing I've written for him in terms of all the stuff I did with Shane, you know, this thing mm-hmm. and, and yeah. the virtues. And But with Jodie, I sort of took a punt and I took a punt on the basis of two things, really. One is... I knew from talking to her that she was anxious to do sort of social realism, that she wanted to do that sort of mm-hmm. thing. And often if you've got a passion for something, that shows that you've got it in you. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, that, that, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like, you know. It's, it's, and it's the mistake as well. I think it's it's often the same with music. Like, it's why people get angry at, at second albums, because bands do one thing that you they get huge for and then go, I want to do something else now. I'm an artist. Yeah. I want to yeah. create. And Jody blowing up with with killing eve and the surrealness of that and the the campness in places obviously mm. she's not going to want to do an, another killing eve as her next thing she's want to go i want to go the yeah. opposite direction i want to show what i can do yeah absolutely in absolutely world. and she'd done stuff earlier in the it, there's a brilliant show she did called 13 and yes. so there was stuff like that in my head where i knew that she she'd been to an area similar and yeah. so i just i just wrote her a character that was completely unlike her and then slowly but surely we sort of fashioned it into her. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, or fashioned it into a place that she was comfortable to go. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, you know, and, and that was a really beautiful experience. With with Stephen, he was sort of going, you know, okay, so he's really into trainers, he's really into this, he's really into that, he's really into... Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, you get calls. I was on yeah. a romantic walk with my wife, literally the first we'd had since... The first time we'd sort of had a loan since... Uh, since lockdown and we were sort of, you know, walking in the hills together, having a nice time, get a call through it, Stephen Graham. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, you answer when Stephen Graham calls. So, um, and, and then he's going, you know, okay, so we need to find the replica kit from 82, 83, and it can't be a copy and it can't be, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, and all this other kind of stuff. And, uh, and that's the way Stephen works. He sort of accumulates and you just kind of get this sense of something being built. Jodie's much smaller and much more, much shyer. And do you know what I mean? You know, and slowly yeah. but surely she just kind of made Sarah hers. And it was a beautiful process to watch. That's l- lovely. And I, uh, on, st- on, st- on st- Stevie's performance, um, I had a real breakthrough in, in an acting class a couple of y- a years ago. I moved into acting, had no, no, no training. Things started to go well. And I thought, right, I should go and learn some stuff now. <laughs> I should at least know what I'm doing. And I've, I had a, amazing a teacher recommended by a tom hardy and one of the breakthroughs i had in that class was him just saying that yat malgram used to say that he sits in classes and workshops and theaters and watches actors trying so hard to cry yet in real life he watches humans try so hard not to cry and it summed it up perfectly and that's what i thought about with Davy's performance and the power and mm. threat of the character almost was it was bubbling under, but we never mm. really saw it. He never exploded. There was numerous points where he's close to it. And because you know of Stephen's performances in other things where he's so intimidating and powerful and becomes 10 feet tall, it was all the more powerful to see that kind of bubbling under in this character that, you know, he's a, l- a lovely lad, mm. but he's got, this power and this strength and this potential anger because of the confusion he's under. And that was an amazing thing to, to, to see in a character and never necessarily have the payoff or anything. Mm. You know I mean? It's just here, here it is. It's bubbling there. So, so I guess what was the process of, um, of research? Cause this was real <laughs> in the moment, like this was happening. Mm. You, mm. you started it at the start of the pandemic and you were in production not far into the pandemic, but it's a mm. huge subject. So obviously, I know you would have wanted to to research a lot. Also, having known some of the work you've done in the past and some of the work you're doing now on disability and things like that, you're not going to have wanted to get anything wrong here. So, mm. how was that as a as a fast forwarded process to go right? F- figure this out quick. <laughs> yeah. No. First, first thing. Just on Stephen, yeah. I don't think anyone plays fragility as well as Stephen. Yeah, I think. Do you know what I mean? I just think the way that he 
is able to sort of show his soft shell yeah. is like no one else. He's Absolutely. just he's just phenomenal at that. But um, on research, it was just diving in. You know, the, originally I, I wanted to about care homes because I, I'd seen a piece in Luton Today, which is, uh, I, I used to live in Luton, and um, I saw a piece about death in care homes. So that was what was sort of the trigger of writing the thing in the first place. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want to do something about the pandemic because I didn't think I was ready and I didn't think the world was ready. And I thought that I would end up doing something that was comic book, you know, not 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 taking it seriously enough, just yeah. just uh, just dancing on the edges of it. And then George Faber, who runs The Forge, which is where I've worked for quite a few years and who I took this project to, said to me, you're missing the story mm. that, that this started with it being about deaths in care homes. It, it's got to be about deaths in care homes and you've got to tackle what's happened here. Yeah. And as soon as he said that, I knew he was right. And it presented a number of problems. For instance, I, I'd originally written Jodie and Stephen's character as brother and sister. Well, there was no way of them being in the same place yeah. if they were brother and sister. So, yeah. uh, you know, the, 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 they were separated out. If you were in a home, you were It's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, then then it was the deep dive into what happened. And that's just talking to people, you know, it's doing what we're doing now. It was you know, there wasn't any books to read or anything like that. There was just a lot of sort of, okay, there, there were books to read about Stephen's character's, uh, Tony's um, condition and, and things like that. But but mainly it was just kind of going, okay, what's happening and what does it feel like? Yeah. And just the rawness, the rawness of people's emotions was just, you, you realised you realized quite what, how much damage had been done to them. And the thing that broke my heart was they thought they were responsible right. and... And I think that's what, more than anything, that's what drove the anger in this piece. The yeah. feeling that these incredibly brave people have walked into this situation and had knowingly kept going back. You know, that they, they it would have been so easy to quit. It would have been so mm. easy to quit. And so, you know, that they... Understandable. It would exactly, have been understandable so, to do ex- so as well. Exactly. They are not paid a lot of money. It's a hard job at the best of times. This made it impossible. And they kept going back. And they looked after their residents as best they could. They were given no support at all. And then when the residents died, they thought it was their fault, you know, because they weren't able to provide the service that they normally did. They weren't able to kind of protect someone as they were dying. They weren't able to hold their hand. Do you know what I mean? All the things that that people do and... uh, that just broke me, and uh, and that drove everything. But they talked about it on Gogglebox, and I always get excited when anyone I know, any of their work is on Gogglebox. For some reason, it's an exciting thing. And they mentioned there that they did all this, and all they got was a round of applause. And I was sitting there yeah. screaming at the screen, no, they didn't even get that. That yeah, was yeah, for yeah. the NHS. This was they the, the, the thing that blew me away about help was it told the story of the people even l- l- considered even l- lower down as such and ignored mm. even more. They weren't even getting that, that bloody round of applause, really. And nor did they get the blue light hour. You know the blue light hour when they got when people got shopping? Right, um, yeah. You know, you remember supermarkets opened, yeah, opened for, for, for us, NHS, only for NHS, NHS workers. Start, yeah. yeah, and that was something that came up quite a few times, actually, in talking to care workers, that they would do a 12-hour shift, then they go to the supermarket, shops were empty, and then they'd go home and cook dinner for their families. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, and they didn't... That Just giving them that hour, just making them part that hour would have made such a difference to them. Yeah. But... But they weren't, you know what I mean? Like, you know, because as you say, they are not valued. They are not valued as as highly as they should be. It hadn't occurred to me until you kind of talked about it then how rawly emotional a research period this must have been. Because as you say, the history wasn't written yet. And mm. there's a big difference in reading something on paper, in a book, on a research paper, on a website, to speaking directly to these people who are still going through it Mm. did that add pressure to 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 tell their story or did it kind of just give you further insight like like i can translate this Mm. i've just had this conversation i need to get writing kind of thing uh both and there was a point quite late on when one of the people that we talked to read the script and said i don't like this and i don't like what you're saying here and here that's that feeling that we'd let someone down and then we desperately rewrote it, you know, that we rewrote we rewrote right. the bits that, that they were unhappy with. But that feeling that, that they thought that we were saying something about the care system that they weren't and that we weren't was was really was really tough. It, this was easier than some in, in the respect that sometimes when you talk to people, 
you know that the story that you're going to tell won't necessarily always be on their side. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, and sometimes, yeah. uh, you know, the, 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 and, and I'm not talking about real people. I'm talking about, you know, I don't really do sort of recreations of, mm. I do sometimes, but not really. I, I try to avoid the sort of like historical recreations, yeah. but I try and tell stories that are newspaper stories, you know, that yeah. the, the, the uh, stories that have been in the spotlight and things that I haven't understood that maybe drama could do something with, you know, that I, I I'm attracted to those sorts yeah. of things. And sometimes when you're talking to people about what's happened to them, you're aware that your story won't necessarily have the space and the time to give their story that attention and that yeah. people might think that you were being negative about them. And I don't ever try and be someone that says that someone's wrong and someone's right. I try and I try and write in shades of grey. But but with help, this is quite black and white. Yeah. And yeah. um and um the fact that we were trying to always be on the side of the carers made those conversations quite easy in terms of you don't like the script we can fix it because we want to be on your side i love that interaction and that back and forth and no preciousness as an artist to go well you know it's yeah it's this it's like no 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 let's no there's there's always a little bit of preciousness but yeah 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 yeah. yeah. well i mean that's fascinating to hear because on your kind of your general writing approach because with my music i'd always have people think all of my lyrics and songs are true stories and i'd always have to explain no i wouldn't be able to be as truthful if it was a true story if you know yeah. what i mean because i'm too polite if, yeah. If, yeah. if it's yeah. if it's real people and real this i i wouldn't want to offend anyone whereas if i can create exactly as you were saying there create a fictional story but informed by my yeah. true experiences or the experiences of people i know or friends or things like that then then i can get as raw and true and real as as I need to, and mm. I think that's a powerful thing. I think that's that mm. that can be a really good way to approach things, right? To have right, you've seen a story rather than think I want to re- convert that story to screen. Go right, I want to create something and have that freedom that has mm. the same energy and 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 rawness of this. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I've tried to do when given the opportunity. Yeah. So, so what was your route in? into writing where did you grow up are you from Luton originally or no I'm from Bristol from Bristol yep and then we moved to Newbury when I was nine yeah and then when I graduated university I lived with my brother in Croydon and then I moved from Croydon to Luton and then my wife made me move to London and I'm still (laughs) in London now Uh, I would never have left Luton actually I love Luton Uh, it was somewhere where I felt completely well, A, it's really easy to get into London from there, but B, yeah. I just felt like I completely understood the place and I was involved in the place, whereas I'm not really involved in the place in London. Or even a Croydon, like all my family are from from South London, and until more recently when all a lot of the, the, the travel lines opened up a lot more, a lot of South London felt like in London but not in London, like near enough yeah. to London, and like yeah. similar to a Luton, where it's kind of, it's it's... I mean, they'll have the cheek to call the airport London, but but yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but you're far enough out of London to, to not be in that mayhem. So, yeah, I can understand both of those places near, as a spot. And you're near green. You're near green, yeah. and green is yeah. good. You know, you know. But yeah, no, I was I was very involved with the Labour Party there. I was yeah. secretary of my branch of the Labour Party, and right. and I loved it. I loved all that, and just and having a very private life away from most of the people I work with but having a complete life over there and then, yeah. you know, and, a, and a, a different life here, you know, and and now I'm just sort of in the middle of it all. But, you know, that's, you know, my wife would move to Luton, so uh, she wouldn't even try it. So, uh, yeah. yeah, that that was it, you know. I mean, it's not got the best reputation either. It's, no. it's, it, it's not, again, I would say similar to loads of South London, which to be clear, I absolutely adore. It's not got the best drive in. Yep. You drive right. in and go, all right. it's not got the wow factor as you arrive so I can kind of understand that and uh and, and London leading the way so 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 actually before we get into how you started writing you touched upon separate lives and it's something I've been thinking about a lot recently and it's fascinating and when I started to write this it illustrates the issue I'm going to bring up because I wrote about you being primarily a tv writer but you're not You've written for, for film as well. But the point was that there's such a weird... There's opposites. In TV, the writers get a lot of the credit and a lot of the, the, the praise and the directors are almost ignored. Like all the TV shows I've worked on, 
no one knows who the directors are, but Kurt, Kurt Sutter and St- David Knight, the people I've had the, the luck to work on their scripts of, everyone knows them. Whereas in film, it's the complete opposite. Everyone's got a favourite director. Everyone's got, yeah, they're, they're, they're even producers to an extent, but writers seem to get almost ignored in film, unless it's a writer-director. So how do you find that? Again, I found it amusing as I was like, I think of you as a TV writer, and then I looked and went, well, this is the point I'm making. <laughs> you, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, yeah. You've also done some films I love, but I don't think of that because I think of you as This is England, The Virtues, His Dark Materials, all these other things. So how do you find that as someone who who walks the the barrier of between both? That one, your 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 Jack Thorne, the, the TV writer, one, your all right. Let's have a script off you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> then we'll take it away. It's. I mean, it's a very different world, and it's kind of good. Both both are good in their different ways. You know that TV, it's your responsibility, and the reviewers, if they don't like the show, will destroy you. Yeah. You know, will absolutely destroy you. And and there's times when I read the reviews for. TV and go, but that wasn't my fault. And there's times <laughs> when I read the reviews for film and go, but that was all me. And, uh, and you know, that thing of anonymity is kind of quite nice. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't have a problem with that at all. There's also the thing of you are just not essential to the process. Yeah. So in TV, you know, you watch every cut, you report back on every cut. Yeah. Film, it's up to them when they're ready to show it to you and if you give notes, they are notes as part of everyone else's notes and they will frequently get lost. Do you know what I mean? You know, yeah. because you are not you are not the significant player. Yeah. And fil- film is a fil- everyone says film is a director's medium. I I think it's also a producer's medium. Yeah. In that whoever's making it has so much commercial responsibility for it. Mm-hmm that they obviously are all over it in terms of going, no, this is what we need in order so that the film will sell. And so you sort of, that's a very different process to TV where you've got the broadcaster, but certainly in British TV, the broadcaster's trying to support talent, really. You know, and and the broadcaster, there's times when the broadcaster will give heavy notes, there's times when the broadcaster will give notes that you hate. But largely, they're just kind of, they've trusted you with the project and they are trusting you to deliver on the project. And they will not be sitting there going, no, 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 no. You know, um, yeah. sometimes that happens and I feel like I'm sort of, uh, you know, but but it, but it, but largely, you know, yeah. that there's a lot more freedom. I mean, I think that's why Shane Meadows loves TV as much as he does, that he just feels like there's a there's a freshness he can bring to it that yeah. that in film is a bit harder to get sometimes you it's know? something that scares me massively for film because i love tv but i think film is hugely important and i think you're mm. completely right it's been in the last 10 years or so it feels like that producer role has become more powerful because of the size of your marvel films your your, mm. your big your big blockbusters and it feels that Art shouldn't necessarily always be about the dollar sign or 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 the income, and a, a lot of films are. It feels like TV because of again, particularly in the UK, you've got the BBC and Channel Four who obviously w- w- want ratings, but it still feels they have a commitment to making the right mm. artistic choices, and it worries me that we're going to have less and less f- 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 films that are made p- purely for the art of it. And then if it makes some, if it makes a huge profit, that's wonderful. But not necessarily that being the the be all and end all. Absolutely, I don't. I mean, I don't hate the producers for you know that they're protecting yeah. their livelihoods. You know, yeah, they're protecting completely. their jobs. And and again, I love a blockbuster as well. So I'm not Absolutely. anti the blockbuster thing. I'm a huge Marvel fan. A huge you know all Absolutely. Of these things. Yeah. No. No. Me too. And 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 it takes you know it takes an awful lot of faith on their part to green light a film and and when they yeah. do that they they are carrying the responsibility of of that film in terms of tv that's the thing that worries me most about where we're going in terms of the streaming model and everything else because the there is a sort of safety at nine o'clock on on channel four or nine o'clock on bbc one in terms of what it brings yeah and that thing of and and you hear it more and more now when when talking about co-productions because tv is a lot more expensive to make than it used to be Mm -hmm. because we've just gone through a massive inflation because 
so much TV is being made here from abroad. Yeah. And and that means that the cost of crews have gone through the roof. And that's great and because the crews... Studio space. I was chatting to a producer that's... friend of mine recently who's got a, a thing that's about to go into production and they're like, our studio yeah. for this series has cost literally five times as much as the previous series because there's so much being made over here at the moment that you can't... Absolutely. Can't find Absolutely. a room. And, and, and Netflix have bought studios. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, they've literally bought the studios. So getting into those spaces have become more difficult. Yeah. But yeah, the, 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 I am worried about, well, I'm worried about lots of things, but I'm, uh, the pressure of money is starting to become more acute in TV. Mm-hmm. And when the pressure of money starts to become more acute, then the pressure of ratings will come with it. Yeah. And it does mean that, and actually, social realism is actually quite a popular medium. People yeah. sort of, talk about it as if it's something that just kind of like people do out of a sense of responsibility to the world. But actually it does really well. Like the yeah. Salisbury Poisonings that was on BBC One during the pandemic, you know, got 7 million viewers. Or, that's or, that's a huge number. You that's know. what I was going to say, though. Social realism, and there's a few things that you've done uh, thinking of Kiri and the accident and a few others. S- social realism and the virtues, it tends to be standalone miniseries. mm Yes. We don't tend to get multi-series no. social realism, which is, it makes sense, I guess, because it's you need to get that, capture that moment. But yeah, it's an interesting one that is popular. And again, it, I, I like that because in a way, although it's doing great numbers, it doesn't have to be chasing for a no. commission. <laughs> it's not trying to get a, a second Absolutely. series as such, you know. Absolutely, but but with with SVODs and with all that stuff, what's going to happen is that it's going to be a lot more difficult for those things to get away because mm. you aren't able to sell them abroad. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and so right, these shows that do very well on British TV, but cost an awful lot to make now because of TV price inflation, means that we are going to get into a situation where I think we make a lot of global drama, but not much local, and. Yeah we're really good at making local drama, you know, and, and sometimes incredibly successful, you know, in terms of long running social realism series, you know, things like Cracker and Prime Suspect, they, they, they are sort of, they're cop shows, yeah. but they are also, um, yeah. there's social realism in there. And, and yes, I'm, I'm frightened for the future in terms of all that. and frightened for the, for the sort of work that's going to be made in this country. I, 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 I wonder if there'll be a point that that stuff clicks outside of the UK. Because again, again, I mean, easy example, as we've been talking about, particularly as someone like Stephen Graham becomes more and more of a global star, then these things may appeal more. Because it instantly occurred to me, I thought, well, the most popular thing that comes out of Britain is incredibly British in period stuff. Again, it's it's it, it's the most British, and that's kind of the appeal. So I wonder if there'll be a a point where America or whomever else just gets on board with the grittier British stories as such, and yeah, I hope gives so. it that global appeal. Um, but you spoke about we. I was just t- touching upon your route into into writing, and you spoke about kind of long r- r- running s- social drama and stuff. And Shameless was kind of your introduction, right? And that would have been a perfect introduction writing on on that to be honest shameless was a bit of a nightmare but right. skins skins was really fun i was going to say skins, skins and... straight after was or in time timeline i actually started on skins it's just skins came came out after shameless right, yeah and they were both for company pictures and shameless was fun up to a point but it was just a really hard point in the show's journey it was at series four and it's series very four much was, already established what it is and what it's doing, and then yeah, and then all the cast were leaving, yeah, and so you were you were just at a point when it was just it became really hard to do the show, yeah, and I didn't love working on it, mm-hmm. but Skins I just had the best time, and yeah. it was the best education uh, a writer can get. You know, Brian Owsley, who showrun it, just taught me so much. Yeah, and 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 it. F- felt like a show that was about forget the establishment forget the here's the writers who have been doing this for a long time we want it to be new we want it to be fresh we don't care Mm. that you've had if you've had no experience if you've got a good voice and that goes from the writing to the acting to everything it wasn't about the established or the establishment it was the opposite of that so no yeah that must have been amazing to work on it was and particularly with series one 
no one was really looking at us either. You know, that 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 once it became a bit successful, then we got a bit more attention from people where people were saying this is what you sh- this should be and this is what this should be. But in series one, we were just sort of left alone, you know. Get on with it. And and uh, and and that was just it was so much fun. It was yeah. so much fun. I don't I didn't quite realise how much fun it was when I was doing it, you know, and Lucy Kirkwood, who's an amazing writer, and, and we were on the show at the same time, and we we got talking to Brian in the theatre the other day. Uh, well, it'd been about four or five years ago now, but we we basically both just sort of apologised for making his life more difficult than it needed to be because <laughs> we thought that he was sort of going, "Oh, you need to do this, you need to do that," and actually, he gave us so much freedom. Yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, he's a great guy, really great guy. I love it. So, not too long after that, I mean, we spoke earlier about the difference in approach or the ease of a series two because you've got the characters all already there. Surely walking onto the, the This Is England series yeah. must have been a dream because you've got this film that's got these amazing characters, amazing actors, and then you're told, these are yours to go and play with. Go and go and create something and, 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 and take these somewhere. And you worked on all the series um, as they came out. So how was that? Must have been the best toy box ever, right? It was the best toy box ever. It was scary as hell. Yeah. In terms of just like you know, feeling like you know, like I'm I'm the outsider and these are the insiders, and how does that yeah. work? But just amazing. I mean, I am so in love with Woody to this day mm-hmm. that um, as soon as I got to write Woody's voice, I just kind of was just bouncing off the ceiling. All time, one of the all time gr- gr- greatest characters. Ever and Joe obviously as a as a as a human. Absolutely. There's there's something about him that's that's never he he's that combination of never I've never seen him on telly before, but I know exactly who he is. Do you know what I mean? Like you know, and that, when those moments when they happen, that's just gold dust of just yeah. kind of like I know that character. I knew that character when I was a kid, and I've never seen him before. And you know, when Shane was writing Woody, he was based on a mate of his, as uh, a lot of these characters are, and his yeah. Woody was a big bloke do you know what I mean like you know a big bloke that just everyone followed because he looked like a sort of warrior that you'd follow into war and then Joe walks into the room and Joe's you know stick thin and do you know what I mean like you know but as soon as he started talking Shane knew this was Woody do you yeah. know what I mean like you know and that's He's one of the things I'm He's most another one that's an absolute force isn't he absolutely and that's one of the things I love about Shane that he'll just turn he'll just turn everything over because he'll go Oh, I thought it was that, but no, now I've seen that. It's this instead. And I'm going to follow that instinct all the way. And it, like n- that fluidity is just sensational. And, and, and working with Shane and getting to know Shane and making friends with Shane was also just a glorious thing. And it took us a while, you know, that we, we slowly got to, cause I was channel four suggested me to him, you know, right. like, you know, it wasn't like he came to me. It was like yeah. channel four said, and they suggest a few names for him to me you know, and he liked me, but which was nice. But do you know what I mean? Like, you know, it wasn't like a marriage where we yeah. both said, I love you. It was like a marriage where they were like, you know, meet at the altar and then, yeah. you know, fall in love now, please. Yeah. Uh, where you're probably dying to say, I love you, but you're yeah. like, I've got, to, I've got to let him say it first. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, 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 exactly. And just slowly, slowly. And and by the time we did the virtues, you know, the, the virtues when he talked about his experiences that inspired the show and just sitting in the room with him. It was in a, in a art center in, in Nottingham uh, that we just hired a room of and sitting in a room with him where he just kind of opened his heart to me. It's one of those moments you'll never forget in terms of just the pure sort of, and him letting me see his soul a bit. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, uh, a man who I really do love. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, it was like, you know, the, the greatest act of intimacy, you know, I, I just, you know, and, um, and so our journey to there was just kind of amazing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you spoke about the fluidity. How was that to get used to as a writer? Cause Shane is someone who loves to workshop, to throw scripts out the window. So as the writer on the project, that must be a tough thing when you yeah. see your s- script flying out the window, but that's also part of it. So how was that to get to, to grips with that part of the relationship and the work process. And when we were doing the read-through for this thing in 86, we were reading through episode three, and he just leant across 
onto my lap when my script was open and just wrote, this is bullshit on the script in front of me in big capitals. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, and it was, you know, it's a script we both, yeah, no, no, it was a script we both, we both like, um, you know, sweated yeah, over, and, yeah. and then and just then wasn't working in the room. It just wasn't working, and you know, and Shane's blunt, and that's kind of glorious. And so it. we got talking. We got talking afterwards, and we talked till about eleven o'clock, I think, about what what it should be. And then I wrote till five, and then I delivered a thumb drive under Shane's door, and he wrote till eight, and then gave it back to me because he was going into rehearsals and. Then I wrote till 11, uh, rewroting him, and then the wow. script was finished. And it's one of the best we've done. Do you know what I mean? You know, and it was Amazing. just that thing of just kind of like, we knew what it should be because we'd read one and two and one and two were in better shape. But yeah, just that thing of just going, yeah, no, this is what this needs to be now. And it was just a lot simpler. And Shane's always about that simple, simple, simple. You know, that that uh, I remember seeing a set of his and going, where's all the stuff? And he said, uh, it was the 80s, we didn't have any money. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, so there is no yeah. stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, there is no trinkets. There is no all the stuff that you put on set when you're when yeah. you're, you're building a set. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Like, you know, it's just like, there's nothing. There's nothing. So um, he's a man of many lessons, and he trusts his actors, and the scripts are always in service to the actors, and if they change, it's because the actors have found a different way in. But the writing process is very, very rigorous, and... And destructive and positive at the same time. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, it's always, everything is always in play. That even if you think you've finished something and you're working, you know, you're working on Ep 4 and Ep 1's been long done, just something in Ep 4 will trigger something for him in Ep 1 and suddenly the whole of Ep 1 will be torn up and we'll start again. You know, and that's, he's he's brilliant like that. Amazing. And I love that motion. You touched upon the virtues. Um, and I don't want to spend ages and ages on this because I do want to talk about things like his dark material and stuff that isn't just gr- gritty social realism because there's there's a real variation in your work but the quality r- remains but the virtues was another one that just blew me away and I'm not sure if I've told this story on the podcast before I I probably have but there was a period where and you'll probably know more of behind the scenes on this than I do but Shane wrote that with or or, or Stevie was always in mind in that role because of what Stevie had gone through, because of what Shane had gone through. But there's a period where Stevie wasn't available and people auditioned and I got to audition for it. And it's one of my, oh. my favourite self-tapes I've done because it was literally, I got an email saying, open this and do one take. Don't do loads of takes. It's improvised. And I was like, right, I, I want to be r- really strict. So, 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 so I got the email just as I was about to record a drunk podcast. So I was like, I'm not going to open the email. I've seen that. I'm not going to open the the the, the PDF. So, so, and so the next morning, slightly hungover, I opened it on camera because I was like, I want it to be true. I want to prove that I'm not yeah. pretending I've done it in one go. It was Sh- Sh- Shaheen Baik, who I'm a big fan of. I've done a yeah. few things for auditions for Shaheen. I think she's great. And I auditioned and it was just kind of improvising your in court and you've got to plead for your the rights to see your kids. Yeah. Um, you're an alcoholic, this and that. So I did that. I sent it off. It was one of my favourites because, again, although that sounds like there's pressure, in my mind, there's no pressure because you can only do it once. It is what yeah. it is. You just you do it yeah. and it's gone. I sent it off. And as with all actors, I just assumed that's gone in a pile. It's never been seen. And then years later, I had a script in development with Walt. So I'm in the office in Sheffield, like, over the railway bridge and down that, that long road yeah. with Mark. And Mark's like, yeah, good good to meet you. It almost happened with that Virtues thing, didn't it? And I was like, what? And apparently I'd been down to one of the last few and then Stevie became available again. And quite rightfully, I always say, if Stephen Graham's available, cast <laughs> Stephen Graham. But in my mind, I just had this fun and sent it off and, and forgotten it. And then Mark was like, oh, no, 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 you were down to the last few and we were considered. I was like, fucking hell, that's, that's madness. Oh, wow. but- I did- I, yeah. I mean, I'm not involved in casting, yeah. really, for Shane, but um, that's amazing. I didn't it, know that was, at all. And again, I also think there's a good chance it's Mark just being nice to me because we were working on a script and had something in development. But, I don't, but, no, yeah. Mark doesn't really do amazing that. One. So, no, I believe that if that was... Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. So how was that to, to work on and bring to life then? As said, you know it's a personal story for Shane. You know it's a personal story for Stevie. 
It was a breakout performance in my mind for Neve Algar and numerous oh. other people. Helen, I thought that there were so many amazing performances in that. So, yeah, how was that to approach? Because in a way, it's similar to help in that it's really personal and you don't want to get it wrong. Um, and it might not be something that you've personally experienced. So Yeah, yeah. No, 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 I hadn't. And yeah. uh, no, I think it was a really beautiful experience. You know, Shane gave me his heart. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, and we sort of had to hold it in our hands. And I think the whole cast knew that too. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, we're all holding Shane's heart a bit. And my job was to support him and keep writing stuff until, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, he found the story he wanted to tell and we went everywhere with that story. I mean, you talk about that court scene. That was at one point the, the hinge around the whole show. And then slowly but surely it just gets whittled away till, you know, that his boy leaving is not about anger. It's about sorrow. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, and so yeah. the whole the whole show becomes very different because it was about someone that was raging and was constantly talking in the street and was someone that just kind of almost never never preached, wasn't quite at someone on but but would just open up on the street and just kind of like start 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 preaching to people. And it used to be that it was that sort of character and then right, yeah. and then as the show went on, it just changes and bec- and it generally becomes smaller. It generally starts big with, with Shane and then becomes smaller and smaller and smaller mm. until it becomes really, really intimate. We knew we were writing for Helen, so we knew we were um, r- writing about Ireland and we knew that it would, it would involve Ireland and going to Ireland. My wife and I had a holiday booked, which we then cancelled because uh, she got pregnant and we couldn't travel because she was not very well. But it involved the Liverpool to Belfast fl- ferry. Yeah. And I become, I, I got very involved in booking the holiday. And so I've become slightly obsessed with this ferry, this night ferry. Yeah. And uh, I did and it so numerous there, times on in my touring days when really? we go over and play Ireland. It was, it was always either the Belfast to Liverpool or the, yeah, the Dublin, yeah, the South one. But yeah. Yeah. yeah always yeah. weird. Always a lot of, tr- of truckers. Always a lot of, I don't know. Darts on the TV, a, a, yeah. a strange, a strange world. Yeah, and you know, I've done all the sort of they they have virtual tours on the website and all this yeah. other kind of stuff. So I was like, so uh, episode two was originally exclusively set on the nighttime ferry, right? As they were going across, and so things just kind of get layered in. Do you know what I mean? Like you know, we just we just create these layers, and then we keep writing until the layers become clearer. And then slowly the story really emerges, and uh, and yeah, that it was a beautiful experience and one I'll never forget. Mainly for that first conversation, yeah. mainly for that first thing right at the beginning of it, in terms of that responsibility and that love. You know, yeah, it was quite something. You you brought back all sorts of memories of those f- f- fairies. Now I remember the <laughs> the kind of idea that, and again, because we weren't a band that had tons of money, you, you'd have the option to buy a cabin for yeah. on that on, on yeah. that bit. But then we did that once and then we got on and there was pretty much no one on it. So we were like, well, next time, well, let's just sleep in the bar or sleep, yeah. you know, sleep w- 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 wherever. Why pay extra? The cabins aren't exactly luxury. Yeah. Why pay extra f- for that? And then any time we'd risk that, it had happened to be really busy and it seemed, <laughs> just seems there was no way around it. It's like, oh, this can't, we can't make this work. But yeah. And, and the, and the luxury, I always remember luxury cabin, Costing seventy nine quid. Yeah. On uh, when 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 we were looking to travel, yeah. Rachel and I seventy nine quid, and I was like seventy nine quid for a luxury cabin. That's amazing. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Like you know, because yeah. you have this yeah. image in your head of what a luxury, luxury. cabin would look yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you go, "Well, no, it doesn't quite look like that." Yeah. 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 <laughs> it turns out the regular ones are essentially a long cupboard, and 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 that's about that. But well, I mean, we've talked loads about realism, and we've talked about having amazing characters to write. Two other things I want to get some talk about, if we can, is the Eddie, which I absolutely adored. I, I love Taha Rahim. So quickly on that, because I want to go more into his dark materials, but how was that writing for, you know, another language, another country, another cu- cu- culture? There was all a variation of languages and countries and cultures because of the nature of the the, mm. the people who were working in the Eddie and running the Eddie. Like, yeah, how was that to, to write and work on? It was tough. I'd done I'd done a show before called The Last Panthers that was set yes. in Marseille and Serbia and, and that was with UK. Wal- 
a warp, wasn't it? Which really su- surprised me because that was the first thing I'd seen from warp that wasn't gritty yeah. realism. This was a Absolute. action Absolute. type. It, yeah, it was about diamond thieves. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And Samantha Morton, again, speaking of people to, to write for, yeah. I adore Samantha. But yeah, go on. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and I'll go that, off on tangents every time. I'm a, no, no, I'm no, a big no, fan no, no. I love things. Sam. I love Sam. I love Sam, <laughs> and uh, and I love Tahar, who was in yeah. who was in Last Panthers too. And doing Last Panthers, you know, Tahar is bilingual, and so we'd had a translator, and so I'd write it in English, and then and then yeah. there would be a translator into a particular type of Marseille French. Yeah. Um, and Tahar was never happy, and so basically was translating himself from the English into uh, into French. Yeah, um, this isn't real enough. I'll do exactly, it. Exactly, exactly. And so it was, that process was really interesting and the research process on that was amazing. You know, I I, I had uh, the police head of organised crime in, in Geneva who was a specialist in capturing Pink Panthers just driving us around Switzerland at like two in the morning and showing us all these incredible sights. I mean, it was, wow. it was like, it was, that bit was incredible and trying to find criminals and stuff like that that you just kind of go I'm a writer why am I looking for uh why am I in uh, Montenegro looking for um uh, diamond thieves but you know that that process was was brilliant uh the eddy was was tougher because it involved a lot of a lot of different things so you know uh the black american experience mm-hmm. um the the parisian experience the polish experience you know and to be honest I'm really proud of it too. I can see and smell my mistakes in it. And because everyone else was so good on that show, I mean, the music was just incredible. Yeah. I'm still slightly annoyed with myself. Right. That's interesting. For it. it. But, you know, really proud of it, but just slightly annoyed with myself. Yeah. So so how's it been working on on his dark materials? I mean, you speak of of big projects and and things like that. That's as big as it gets in TV, right? Huge book franchise. Also, kind of, what's the process? Is that a similar that you're just writing, or do you have a writer's room for something like that, or what's the the deal on? Uh, well, series one I wrote all myself, mm-hmm. so there was I was the writer's room. On series two, there were other writers, and the idea was that I would write all the first drafts, and then they'd rewrite those drafts. Yeah. And I thought that that um, that was a process in which I would be helping help helpful yeah. uh but actually i think i did need to do more of a writer's room for that because i think that just just uh that process of sharing authorship we didn't quite do well enough on mm. and on series three now it's just a bit more distinct who's writing what is a bit more distinct and a bit more controlled it's an incredibly big production yeah and so there's an awful it lot comes of across on the screen it's, it's, yeah, it's yeah. huge no, there's yeah. so much yeah and so there's a lot of people inputting mm. all the time and it's just about trying to keep your head above water and and tell these glorious stories and philip's genius which is i think a word we ever use but do you know what i mean like you know i think it's deserved in his case i think yeah. what he does in terms of how he looks at the world is unlike anyone else so being true to him and being true to his spirit whilst also dealing with everything that comes with big budgets and do you know what I mean? Like, you know, and and yeah. and CGI and everything else is tough but very, very rewarding. Yeah. There's so much stuff in that in those worlds that reading on page is glorious. Reading on a script and knowing you have to somehow get that to screen <laughs> is probably a completely different experience and feeling. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> this feels wonderful, but now we've got to make that happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know, and you can have and you can have four shots that involve this character because every time we show this character on screen he costs thousands of yeah. pounds. So uh yes, of you course, know that, yeah. that thing of just going, you know, that the demons are supposed to be with them all the time, but if the demons are with them all the time, then the budget is blown in at one. You know, so yeah. all that stuff is is really, really um interesting actually. And I think the, uh the I've always felt that again, obviously within reason but but restrictions can bring the best out in in all art, yeah. and I think the impact that the, the demons have, or particularly certain ones at times, is all the greater because they're not there all the time. And again, I wouldn't have even dreamt of it as a, a financial reason that they're not there yeah. all the time. How can a polar bear be more expensive 
than James McAvoy. This doesn't this doesn't make sense to me. But but um, yeah, it kind of adds that that wonder and excitement when those moments do happen and 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 the big things that you can't have them happen constantly. Easy example I'd give, and everyone always shits on it, but it works as an example is those two or three tr- uh, Transformers sequels where there was just so much at all times that you kind mm. of, it, it just got confusing um, mm. because it was one of the first things that had that level of CGI and that level of everything going on here is CGI. It's not a CGI mm. character, it's the whole thing. And it can become overwhelming. So using those things carefully and in in proportion just adds to the impact, I guess. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think you're probably right. There's times I wish we could have a little bit more. But, yeah, uh, I can but, imagine. Um, uh, I can imagine. Uh, and the really difficult thing is that characters touching the demons is what costs the most money. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so that thing of just kind of like, you know, so there's things like that. But, I mean, it's the best team. Everyone works so hard, so hard. Everyone is so committed. I mean, and um, and being part of it, and it's is really nice. I mean, yeah. speaking earlier on of under underappreciated people to the outside world, I think the producers on the show who are having to get the script and go, oh, that's yeah. possible and that's not possible, and find the balance between the artistic yeah. vision and the real-world vision, that yeah. is an absolute art. I worked on a show called Debris in a sci-fi thing in, in America. Decent b- 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 budget was NBC and things like that, but still, it's sci-fi and a wonderful mm. writer I like Joel Hyman will always think bigger than is possible to (laughs) to financially do and speaking to the the people who would have to kind of every day have that battle of I don't want to kill the art but also we need to actually make this and it needs to actually happen and it's it's an art form man It's, it's it's a hell of a balancing act and 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 it's Jane Transfer and Dan McCulloch on on his yeah. materials, and they work extraordinarily long hours. They have to say no to people all the time. Uh, they carry the responsibility for the show with them wherever they go. And yeah. um, no, they're phenomenal. They really are phenomenal for for bearing that responsibility. You're doing you're doing Venom. You're doing Kelly's Venom. I am. I'm, I, am. I'm, I was so excited to see that. I was so, so, so excited to be able to announce it because obviously yeah. I've been. Uh, we filmed it two years ago and. It's one of them. I was. I got to be on set with Stevie, um, yeah. but get to watch Naomi Harris and Woody Harrelson and and Tom. And it's one that I only got to announce it a week or so ago. And I'm going to do a little video to explain that I'm in like one or two scenes, but it meant the fucking world to me. It'll crack people up to know that I booked a session with my acting teacher to workshop these scenes, and it's literally. It's two lines, but it's like, nah, man, I want to be yeah. in there to over delivering. I want to make sure. I'm so excited. I'm for as it. strong as anyone, and yeah, it's because it was Ke- Kelly Marcel. Kelly Marcel first told me about you. I didn't. Oh, really? You know, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So first, me on to your work, and uh, oh, that's and, the yeah, best. And the, and, the, and and the fact that you're yeah, yeah, doing because I think it's gonna. Well, it sounds like it's gonna be really special that she's yeah. done something really special with it, and she's been so involved with the process from start to finish. Hundred like, percent. Her and Hutch Parker were both just just because again the thing that I had, although I only had a couple of scenes, two days. They didn't get to my scene, which normally for an actor is the worst thing. But because I know Kelly and Hutch, I was at monitors. So I was like, I had two days oh, wow. of just learning. I just had two awesome. days of going, just watching everything. And I don't give a shit if you get to my scene. I'm sitting there in costume. Yeah. <laughs> just like, full kit wanker, ready to go if I need to. But I'm just like, keep delaying me. Because the more I get to learn off these amazing people, and Tom there most of the time, because he's... yeah a producer and writer credit on this one because his involvement yeah. was huge. Andy Circus, all of that yeah. stuff. So it was like, it was only a week or two ago I was, I, I was catching up with a few things on Kelly and I said, look, I need to ask you, have I made the cut? Because you don't know on these things, <laughs> particularly yeah, yeah, when yeah. it's one or two scenes. And as you say, a production of this size, I'm ready to, to not be in it and just have my memories and the stuff I learned. And she's yeah. like, yeah, you're in it. I was like, fucking good. <laughs> when can i tell people (laughs) so so yeah excited to see how that all panned out but again that was exactly what we were talking about getting to have that hands-on experience of 
a production of that size, of how many people are having to put in opinions and views, how much of a fight has to go on between the art and the product. Because they have to be presented as the same thing at the end, but they're not the same thing throughout. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's an industry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll... I'll wrap things up as you've been wonderful with your time. I always have to ask what's ahead. And in this industry, there's always normally loads that you can't actually answer or talk about. But another huge thing that I watched while I was in lockdown in Canada and I was all isolated filming this TV show, having a horrible time. The show was wonderful, but the isolation was rough. And one of the things that gave me a break from that was Enola Holmes. Um, Oh, wow. And there's a sequel to that. On your yeah. IMDb again, I'll, I'll go off things that that, that are on your IMDb because that normally means you can talk about them. The ocean at the end of the, the lane is on there. And Neil Gaiman's another pal, and he, yeah, that, even that though happens. that sold out over and over again, he he got me his writer's seat. So getting to watch that awesome. play was amazing. Is that happening? Is no, it that's, dead? That's a dead. That's a dead duck. That's a dead duck. Uh, <sighs> but Joel Hallward, who who wrote that adaptation for stage, I think is really special. So hopefully. Yeah they'll find a way of doing his version on, uh, but yeah, I wrote a film for it uh, probably about 10 years ago. Oh really? Um, that long? And uh, yeah, no, it didn't happen. But Anona Holmes 2 is happening and um, it's really fun. And what else can I talk about? I can talk about a, a film called then Barbara McAllen that was originally called Piss on Pity. That's about the passing of disability discrimination act. Right. Um, that I've co-written with Genevieve Barr and stars Ruth Madeley and Arthur Hughes. And that's, that's really special. I think we're just we're just we're just um, getting close to pitch a lot right now, and um, I'm really proud of that. Ruth Madeley's fantastic. She blew oh. me away in in years and years. Was it? I think it was. And just yeah, yeah she's yeah. just she's amazing, astounding. She is she is amazing and a really and what a story you know, that is to tell as well, right? I I had yeah. a friend on recently. Um, she performs under the name of of wheelchair sports camp and she's a rapper but has been a massive activist for years right. in and like has been dragged out of senate offices in america because they'll all go in and then someone will remove all their wheelchairs and yeah. and, and just all, all these protests and she had amazing an amazing story of a friend of hers who was a protester who was peacefully protesting and the police came to move them and asked her how to make her wheelchair work. And she said, I'll let you move me, but I'm not going to assist you and teach you how to. So they just couldn't move her because they couldn't figure out how to make her wheelchair work. So, yeah. Awesome. And and these are stories that haven't been told much, it feels, on screen. So that sounds like an amazing one. Yeah, it's um, a group called the Disability Action Network, who uh, Dan, who are just exactly that that you know they would be in wheelchairs and they would tape weights to the bottom of their wheelchairs so the police could move them but it would take an awful lot to do so you know and a lot of handcuffing to buses and all sorts of different things like that they're they're a great bunch that sounds amazing well yeah i'm excited for all that's ahead then and thank you very much thank you very very much obviously help the virtues the the they're, they're, they're both on demand on Sky at the moment. Enola Holmes, His Dark Materials on iPlayer. Enola Holmes on Netflix. You've got you've got stuff all over the place. Really, <laughs> it's easy. It's easy to find. Um, to wrap things up, did you find anything in that period when the pandemic hit and you suddenly didn't have loads of things in production? Was there anything nice in that, or anything that made you go, "Oh, maybe I want to make adjustments." going forward with regards to family time or just r- relaxing time or downtime was there anything that kind of other than the initial panic of i'm meant to be working <laughs> all of a sudden i'm not i think that the first one it was just panic mm-hmm. um and it was just how do i be a dad and be a writer at the same time yeah the longer it went on i think that thing and i think we all found it to some degree of stillness did make a difference to me mm. and did make me sort my head out a little bit. The other big thing for me was I got really into American football. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I'm still really profoundly into American football. And that takes I up watched... a lot of time. That's not well, a speedy yeah. game. No, it's not. No. And just that thing of just kind of like watching YouTube obsessively for American football. I quit Twitter and, and my new addiction instead of Twitter is just watching videos about 
uh, Gronkowski. <laughs> I love <laughs> so, it. So, so stillness in American football, yeah, they were the big discoveries. <laughs> I genuinely think f- finding those things, whatever they are, that will allow you to switch your brain off for a little bit, because yeah. particularly as a creator of any sort, like, like I've suffered f- from insomnia for years, but I don't moan about it much because it's produced some of my best works because I've laid awake at night thinking about it and come up with yeah. stuff. So it's one of them where it's like, eh, it's annoying, but I've also got a lot to thank it for. But um, finding the, those things that will allow you to switch off that productive mind and creative mind are absolutely key, whether it's American football or or whatever else. I weirdly, there's a guy, David Earl actor and comedian i'm a big fan of he started on twitch and one of the things he started playing was an american football game so i've tried to watch american football in the past couldn't understand it watching him play it on a game because of the way it has to break it down it gave me a greater understanding of the sport and it was like i might start watching american football now this is I get it for the first time. An American friend of mine explained it to me as like in British sport, you can sit there, things not happening is part of the game. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, you yeah. know, in American football, something is always happening. Yeah. You've always got to make that 10 yards. Yeah. And so you're never bored. And I think that's that's what appeals to me more than anything else. That just that feeling that, that just, oh my God, they're third down. Are they going to make the two yards? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, yeah. and, that, and that stuff. And so, I understand yes, no, that I, now because yeah. of Twitch. How strange. Yeah. What, a, what a bizarre <laughs> world. Well, th- th- thank you very much for your time, man. It's been an absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure for me too. Thanks for having me on. I really, really appreciate it. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There you go, that was Jack Thorne. Now, that's one of the best, right? I genuinely think that's one of the best that we've done. I came off of that absolutely buzzing. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I clearly did. And I didn't do too much asking of Jack to put me in stuff. You know, sometimes, if it's an industry person, particularly someone I really like but don't know... You know, I'll definitely get in a bit here and there to imply that we should maybe work together. But I felt I could ease up on that because I know Jack a little bit. So it should be implied in our every interaction (laughs) that I want to work with him on some of the amazing projects he's working on. Anyway, as I said, I'll be back on Friday for a bonus episode. And it's a really good one. Honestly, it's my mate Andy Chambers. I know that's not a big name. I know that's not, you're not going to be like, oh, that guy. But it's a really good conversation and I think you'll enjoy it. So tune in for that on Friday if you get a moment. Um, Yeah, until then, stay sane, stay safe and uh, keep up the good work of being you, mate. Nice one.